0: Hello and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Rebecca Mazzino and with me is Tara Tuttle and together we're going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter.
1: All right, let's get started. Today we're going to be talking about why we keep aspirational clutter. So strap yourselves in because we could be here for hours. I could talk about this for hours and (laughs) hours. It's a good one, isn't it? I'm going to kick off, though. I've got this great quote. There's this lady, Penelope Trunk, and she wrote a book called Slave to Happiness. It's about living the American dream. But there's a quote in there that just really resonates with me. And she says, so much of what we human beings hold on to is what we wish we were using, aspirational clutter, objects that commemorate a life we aspire to but do
0: not have. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, it's awesome. And we see it all the time, don't we, with clients?
1: Absolutely. Um, It's so common. I think so much of it is people buy things for the life that they're hoping to lead. It represents the person, not that they are necessarily, but the person that they want to become. and. It aligns with the dream that they have either for their life in the short-term future or the long-term future and that's why it's aspirational.
0: Yeah, aspirational clutter comes from a strong desire that we have culturally to be better, in air quotes, and have a better life and be happier and experience more things. And so what we often do is collect items in order to find that better Uh, And unfortunately, sometimes we can collect too many.
1: And I think that's what makes it really hard for people to give it up because people aren't prepared to give up the dream of a happier life or a better life. And that's where it becomes a real sticking point for people with parting with their aspirational clutter. They can't accept that they're not going to reach that goal or aspire to that level. And keeping, keeping the items is sometimes as close as they'll get. And for some people, yeah. they're okay with that.
0: Yeah. And it, for, for those that uh, understand that they're never going to achieve those goals, it's actually a real grieving process as well. Parting with things that you haven't ever used but you really wanted to but know you're never going to It's not as easy as just saying, oh, well, I'm never going to do that, so it can go. You know, there's a grieving process. There's this whole letting go of the idea of someone that you wanted to be and that's, you know, you're grieving the loss of that person.
1: And I think letting go of it as well is always hard because you have to acknowledge the cost of acquiring it, not just the actual monetary cost but the investment in your future people will put their their faith in an item helping transform them into the person they want to become and to give up that dream and accept that that money is lost i talked to my clients about this concept of a sunk cost and that's a business term which rel- relates to costs that are already incurred which cannot be recovered. And if you're a business person, you would relate to this. There are some things that you spend money on in your, the course of your business or the course of your life which once the money is gone, it's gone. And we have to make people understand that the money is lost at the point of purchase, that actually holding onto that item for any more length of time doesn't recoup its value if you don't use it hmm. that you're not getting value anyway just keeping it in your house doesn't doesn't mean it equates to giving you value for that and some things, some bigger items of aspirational clutter might be able to be sold and you might recoup a bit of that money but people once they get to the point of accepting that they're not going to aspire to that person or that goal they also have to then accept that the money that they spent on that will be lost as well and that can be really hard for people to get to that point.
0: Yeah, and some people really, really dislike wasting money um, and it really hurts them to realise that they have actually wasted their money. Uh, And, you know, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Everybody does it. Everybody's made a purchase that they have found later to never have used uh, or to have not used enough to, to make it worth it. But that's It's a learning experience for next time, isn't it?
1: Mm -hmm. And I think as well, it's not just the cost that was incurred initially, but also the cost of keeping that item long-term. Maybe the the space it takes up, maybe it's a boat and you don't get out on your Mm -hmm. boat nearly enough because you're too busy with work or your licence has expired or whatever it is, but then you're paying to store that boat. So there's these ongoing costs of holding onto these things as well um and and it's not just big items they can be little things they can be um books that you want to read one day they could be clothes that you don't fit into anymore they could be kitchen gadgets that was a big one for me yeah I was always a bit of a aspiring chef and would buy every kitchen gadget and the thing was it didn't even take up prime real estate it was a little bit of spot in the drawer but it would fill me with that feeling of guilt when I saw it, thinking,
0: well, "I have not yeah, <laughs> reached I that, using that chef so.
1: status." Mm, <laughs> that's it.
0: <laughs> I haven't been on Master Chef quite yet.
1: No, but so have you got any aspirational clutter that either that you've had to yeah. part with and found hard to part with, or that you've still got Bec?
0: Yeah, I've got a, one pair of jeans that's too small for me. <laughs> I would love to. uh I, I think actually a lady at a workshop recently when I was talking about this, I mentioned my jeans that hurt when I wore them. And she said, you need to just go out and buy a pair that do fit you that look exactly the same and then you'll be able to let go of them. And it was wonderful, you know, her telling me, um that because you know she'd really listened to what I'd been talking about in the workshop it was wonderful and she was so right and i wondered why i hadn't listened to my own advice but um that's something that's on my shopping list now is to recreate um that those jeans in a size that actually fit me another aspirational clutter that i tend to have is some craft stuff so i don't have much time for hobbies and crafts and i only have two but one of them is polymer clay sculpting and i haven't touched it in a year because i've been watercolouring instead or working and I think about that polymer clay stuff and I think maybe that's turning into aspirational clutter I should if I'm not going to use it then maybe it needs to go what about you
1: I was a big one for recipe books after I got rid of the kitchen gadgets I held on to the recipe books and I really love cooking but uh, once I had children, the really exotic dishes kind of fell off my repertoire, and I wouldn't get creative on the weekend and go to the markets and buy some obscure vegetable or yeah. You're only going
0: to be you're only going to be greeted with a a face, aren't you?
1: Yeah. <laughs> and like, I've spent six hours creating my own <laughs> ravioli, and the kids say, "Oh, we just want spaghetti." <laughs> so, but I kept the recipe books because I thought one day. My kids will have this amazing palette and want to try all these things. And one day I'll have the time to do all those things. And it took me a while to come around to the fact that that one day was never going to come. So yeah. with the recipe books, once I got to the point of accepting that I could let most of them go, I've kept a couple of my favorites, but they're the ones that I use regularly. Mm. The others, I went through and converted all of the recipes to a recipe app. So I've kind of half decluttered. I think physically I've decluttered. I've let their <laughs> books go. But I think possibly I've, I've got a little bit of aspirational clutter uh, remaining in my iPad. <laughs>
0: <I> <laughs> um, I'm not, take up I'm so not
1: much space. 100% ready to give up that dream yet. The other thing I, I found really hard to part with was a book, a leather-bound book of great expectations, which I bought from this quaint little bookshop in London. I think I was just having my Notting Hill moment (laughs) and I saw this beautiful little book there and thought, I've never read Great Expectations. It's a classic. One day I will have the time to sit in my cosy chair with a pot of tea, throw rug and just read Great Expectations. (laughs) And it sat on my shelf for about six years. And every time I go to get a book, there's another one. There's a crime thriller. There's something else that I would prefer (laughs) to read. Instead of great expectations. And so but I held onto it thinking one day I'll be that person. And so do you know
0: what? You you know what your goal is then? Your goal is not to read great expectations. Your goal is to have read great expectations. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that you can say I've done that, but not necessarily actually do it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I wonder if I can just download a uh, a shortened version, but <laughs> like, just get it
0: quick. Yeah, there are one quick page. yeah. Okay. So we have aspirational clutter how do we actually deal with it
1: well i think the first step is to forgive ourselves for not becoming that person that for we aspire sure. to yeah. and forgiveness goes a long way in a lot of a lot of realms but sit down acknowledge the fact that you've not lost that weight to fit into that whatever or you've not had the time to put into that hobby and say that's okay. Life happens. Life gets in the way, and and forgive yourself first. Because once you reach that point of forgiveness, then it's going to be a whole lot easier. Dreams are just that. Sometimes they're just dreams. They can be a long way from reality, and that is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing you need to do is forgive the costs you, that you've incurred as well. Have that mentality of sunk costs. They're lost. They are not necessarily recoverable. So don't try and get value or perceived value out of an item that you're not using anymore. So that would be my first step is to forgive ourselves.
0: Yeah.
1: Do you have anything to add
0: to that? Well, I guess then we have to go from a practical perspective and actually let go. Mm. <laughs> um, what One of the methods that I think works really well with um, aspirational clutter is allowing yourself to actually keep some but just not all and i think when it comes to crafts arts and crafts they are large a large category of aspirational clutter that you can still hold on to some of but not necessarily at really unhelpful levels so probably my biggest technique for Dealing with aspirational clutter, as far as crafts, arts, and crafts and hobby stuff goes, is to just give yourself some boundaries. Setting limits on how much stuff that you keep that is aspirational can be really helpful because you can still have your creative fix. You can still have some of the dreams, but at a level that is helpful and doesn't and doesn't overwhelm you in volume
1: my husband would be a massive supporter of that so i i like doing a bit of upcycling or you know any kind of project that has to do with furniture while i was living in the uk i did this traditional upholstery course and i have some kind of magnetic field that draws me Mm -hmm. towards junkyards and antique stores and I like finding the oldest most beat-up looking chair to bring home like the stray puppy and nurture it and sand it and paint it and reupholster it but that's a real luxury thing for me to do like I don't attribute much of my time to that I don't make time for it very often it's like the the star's And need to be aligned for me to take the time to go out and do that. And so for a while there, my chair slash table collecting was getting a little out of control. I was acquiring the items quicker than I could do anything with them. And so my husband in his attempt to get into the garage was suggesting that we put some limits around that kind of thing. And so now I have one item at the time. So at the moment I'm restoring an old blanket box which is really lovely, but it takes up a little bit of space in the garage, but not much. And so I I don't even look, I won't even go in the vicinity of an antique shop until that is done, finished, in my house or sold if I choose not to keep it, and then I start again. And for me that works because I have all my focus in one direction on one item or one project, and then when it's done, I have the exciting time of acquiring a new one without feeling, because there were times I would walk into the shed have five chairs looking at me and feel so overwhelmed. and So I wouldn't start any of them. Mm. Or I would go into the shed to get something else and feel guilty at these stray chairs that have not been given their new life yet. And the guilt used to really get to me. So I think for me, having that limit or that boundary has been really helpful.
0: Yeah, and I definitely advocate that. And it's a really great example of how you can still have your hobbies and still achieve your goals and still get your creative fix but without having the guilt and having the volume um, and having it taking over your home. Another boundary you can put is on unfinished projects. So it's probably similar to, to your boundary a little bit but the things that are half completed and then get discarded in favour of a new, shiny, exciting project which happens all the time creative people love starting things and aren't as keen on finishing things generally it's definitely not a blanket rule but a lot of creatives will get 80% of the way through a project and then get bored and so they'll start a new one but they've invested so much time and effort into the first one that they can't discard it uh, they still want to finish it so that's the sort of an aspirational clutter as well is that they want to finish it but they don't want to finish it quite as much as they want to start something new And so you end up then with uh, quite a lot of unfinished projects. And this, you know, my mum used to do this with quilts. She would start making quilts and she would half finish them or get them almost to the end and then put them aside and start something new. And she was complaining to me one day that she couldn't find uh, a quilt that she needed to give to her friend for her birthday. She needed to finish it off. And I said, well, it should be just with all of your other nearly finished quilts and she said I don't have room to store them all together and I said well there is the answer you need to uh, reduce the amount of unfinished projects so that you can fit them all together and then you don't have to search throughout the entire house for them so I said to her right mum you have six months now of only finishing projects you can't start another quilt until you've finished all of the ones that are waiting in the wings and it, she only did it in a few months actually. And as soon as she did that, she then did what you did and she implemented a rule where she can't have any more than three unfinished quilts at any one time and they all fit in the one place and she knows where to find them. So that worked you know, quite well for her. And so that's an example of a boundary that you can place upon yourself to allow yourself your creative fix but without it getting on top of you.
1: Yeah, and I think then you remove the guilt as well because – if you've got a boundary and you're sticking to it, you don't look at these things and think, oh, that's right, I should have, I could have, I would have. You think, that's fine. I, it's That one thing is still within my limits, within my rule, and I will get to it when I get to it. And the same goes, I think, if you are holding on to a lot, whole lot of clothes from a previous size or maybe the the weight you wore before you had children and things like that, keep, Keep something. If you, if there's a pair of jeans that you really, that's your goal, great. Hold on to one thing. But the bonus is, if you managed to lose that weight and get back to that size, wouldn't you want to celebrate by going and buying some new stuff rather Mm -hmm. than pulling out your your old stuff from however long ago it was that you were that size? So keep something to to aim towards as long as it doesn't fill you with guilt when you see it.
0: Yeah, yeah, or make you feel bad. Yeah, you definitely yeah. want that. And you want you want an item of clothing that you look at and you think, I cannot wait to wear this again rather mm-hmm. than I cannot wait to be that size. You know, mm-hmm. if you're saying I can't wait to wear that again, then that's the item to keep.
1: Yeah. And so I think when you're talking limits as well, set some time limits. Say so I'm going to aim to get back into that by by new year's eve and if new year's eve comes and goes and you're not in it then consider letting it go because if you've lived a pretty normal life and and kept things in balance in that time and not made it to that weight then don't don't hold on to it and don't keep aspiring don't keep tracing a a dream that is making you feel bad Mm. move on and and find a new goal and a new time frame for sure so i think we need to work out then If if we've sorted out our aspirational clutter, how do we try and stop it building up again in future? So, if we get excited about a new hobby or a new project, we've got our limits. What can we implement to try and reduce the amount of aspirational clutter that we bring into our home?
0: Yeah. Oh well, I definitely come back to boundaries again. So, just placing limits on everything. You know, this is how many hobbies. Instead of having um, supplies for fifteen different hobbies you narrow it down to five hobbies um, because you can get your emotional needs met from a sample of your hobbies, not necessarily all of them. And also understand that you can do all of those 15 things, but maybe not all at the same time. And maybe it's time to space it out a little bit and say, I'm going to just have five hobbies on the go at the moment or three or two or whatever. And maybe one day the time will come where I can take this new one up but if I don't, it's okay because I'll still be having my needs met by my other hobbies. I'll still be getting my creative fix. I'll still be doing um, reconnecting with nature or I'll still be nurturing my body or whatever it is that those hobbies do for you. You'll still have those needs met by a smaller sample than, than what you had in the first place. So many of my clients have so much craft stuff that they can't do craft so I think that's another thing to tell yourself as well is that if I sacrifice a proportion of my supplies in order to make room, I'll actually be able to do my, my craft. So many people do scrapbooking or um, quilting or sewing that actually haven't scrapbooked or sewn in years. Because the number, the volume of supplies is so large that they don't have space to actually do the craft. And so, what we do then is say, okay, we're going to have to make some sacrifices here in the short term. So, you're going to have to sacrifice a, a half or a third of the stuff that you have accumulated to do that particular hobby in order to then actually be able to do that particular hobby. And what happens as well is it gets perpetuated because people who craft and have no room to craft, they still need to get their creative fix. And I'm sure the listeners out there can really identify with this. So, you know, if you can't do your scrapbooking, but you need to scratch that creative itch, you go shopping for scrapbooking items. And that makes sense. It's logical to do that. You know, you still need to to scratch that creative itch. You still need to do your creativity. But you can't, so you go shopping for more. And then that perpetuates itself into the point where you actually, you know, can't even get into the room anymore, let alone um, be able to sit down and enjoy some scrapbooking. So it's about making some sacrifices right at the start and saying, I'm going to cull a really large proportion of my craft supplies so that I can actually sit down and do my craft.
1: Yes, that reminds me of a conversation I've only had this week with my daughters where I've said to them and I keep saying to them, I think it's starting to sink in. You can do anything but not everything because this has come up in our life at the moment because my kids want to join every sport team, do every possible mode of dance and activity, outdoor activity, after-school activity, join clubs. And I've said, okay, whoa, 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 we it in You can do anything you like but you cannot do everything because you end up cutting yourself so short. And I think it relates to this as well. You can... You can choose whatever hobby you like, but make it something that you can actually do and can actually achieve. Don't feel yourself so full of either physical or mental clutter that you, you'd never reach that, that point of actually doing it. I think one thing I would say too about aspirational clutter is where you can try before you buy. If you are looking at that kitchen gadget before you buy one, see if your friends have got one and ask if you can borrow it for the weekend. The pasta maker. See if, if actually the, the process of making your own pasta is worth owning a pasta maker.
0: It looks so much spiralized. fun. The <laughs> they look so looks, much fun.
1: I, I have to put my hand up here. I do have a pasta maker. But my um, kids and I make make pasta. It's I think it takes us longer to clean up than it does to actually make the pasta. But yeah. on a rainy day, that's how we try and fill some some quiet time we will make pasta but but I borrowed one from a friend because it looked like great fun all the rolling and that kind of thing but I was not sure if I wanted to put the investment into owning one and it's it's worth it it's paid off for us the spiralizer however has not (laughs) that was a gadget that was not worth buying but so lots of things if people want to get into water sports don't go out and buy a jet ski go and hire a jet ski for a couple of weekends see if it's something that really gets you excited. If you're going to make the time to do it, if that works for you, then make the investment. As long as you've got the physical space and you've got the time, you've got the energy and you can commit to it. Mm. Just do that little bit of research and try it out before you purchase the item and bring it into your house.
0: Yeah. I think camping gear is another one that people sort of go out and spend a lot of money on and use a lot of space storing but only go camping once every few years if that mm-hmm. or they just never get around to it um and i think that's that's another thing that you can you know perhaps borrow a friends the first time you go camping you know because i'm sure they haven't used theirs for a while either <laughs> it'd be yeah. available um yeah borrow it and use it and see you know do you really like spending the whole day uh, packing up and then another whole day unpacking and and all that kind of stuff before you actually buy all of the equipment you know is it going to be worth the time, space, and money investment before you actually embark on that hobby
1: mm-hmm. in Canberra, we have running a couple of hours to the snow, so it's so many people I know own skis, toboggans, the snow suits, all the boots, all of that for maybe a day trip every winter, maybe they might go twice, but because mm-hmm. of our proximity to the snow, you think, oh yeah, yeah, it's worth the investment, but then. This thing happens. Your kids grow. So next year they need new snow boots and new snowsuits. And next year they don't want a toboggan. They want to ski or whatever it is, snowboard. And so then rather than reinvesting over and over, there's this really nice network of friends where I live and we just post <laughs> messages to each other and say, look, these are the size snowsuits I've got. If any of you need them this winter, just sing out. And That's it's like fantastic. a little cooperative of ski gear because... It saves you a lot of money and the first year we were back in Canberra after we got back from the UK, we didn't go at all. I'd bought all the gear at the beginning of the season and we didn't go at all. So at least our friends got some value out of it. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's good to do that you know, and also, yeah, to share things around a little bit so that you aren't having to store everything for uh, a small amount of use.
1: Mm. Absolutely. So I think we've pretty much covered it there. Have you got anything else to add?
0: No, I think we've we've covered it all.
1: Well, thanks so much for joining us here at Be Uncluttered. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please subscribe, leave a review or a rating. Please feel free to tell your family or your friends about us if they'd like to, to be uncluttered. If you want to connect with us, you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or via Facebook and Instagram or on our personal pages at clearspace.net.au and basslifecoaching.com.